welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcasts. The battle between President Donald Trump and the leaders of the FBI and Justice Department is escalating as Trump declassified the controversial House intelligence memo and accused them of misconduct. House Republicans released the memo a little over half an hour ago. It argues the agencies misled a surveillance or FISA court in October of 2016 to obtain a warrant to spy on an associate of the Trump campaign suspected of being a Russian spy. Representative Adam Schiff, the top Democrat on the House committee, says the memo is misleading and inaccurate. We don't cherry pick classified information and publish it to give the country a misleading impression to protect the president's hide. Joining me is Bradley Moss, a partner at Mark Zaid. So, Brad, I have been looking through this memo. Tell me what you thought of it. Egregiously underwhelmed. This is not. This is this is a nothing burger. You, you got to be kidding me. The whole scandal is that Carter Page, who the campaign has told us was no one, was a volunteer that did nothing, had no involvement in anyone, never talked to Trump. That Carter Page had a had a FISA warrant issued against him after he left the campaign in October 2016, weeks before election day, and that part of the application and these FISA applications are about. 50 to 100 pages long, that part of the application was the Steele dossier allegations. That's it? You've got to be kidding me. Well, Page was interviewed by the FBI as early as 2013 as part of an investigation into a Russian spy ring. And last December, White House attorney Don McGahn wrote him to immediately cease saying he's a Trump advisor. Why base declassifying uh, me- uh, you know, memos and classified information in this whole thing on Carter Page. Well, and it's because as far as I'm concerned, this whole move is little more than a political hit job by some in the in Congress and in the media to effectively block and tackle for the president here to try to muddy the waters, to try to make the Mueller investigation look discredited from this outset because this was part of the early stages, and to try to save the president politically. As a legal matter, the idea that this have failed to um, meet uh, Fourth Amendment constitutional requirements is a joke. There's no way this would get thrown out. This was fine. This is all about politics. Let's talk a little bit about the FISA courts because people don't know about them. It's rare for a FISA court to deny a warrant application, although it may send back for more information before the warrant is granted. So do you assume that the FBI was going to get this warrant one way or another? Yeah, yes, I do. And here's something to actually to add to that. Not only will the judge sometimes send it back for more information, there are times that the staff at the FBI and the DOJ will coordinate in advance with the staff at the at the FISC, at the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, to discuss how to frame the application so that it will meet the requirements of what the judge will have to see. Those applications are very extensive. The people who put them together are very senior level that have to sign off on it. They have a lot of experience drafting them. They know what the judges are going to require for something this sensitive and something this secret. The idea that they just threw this together haphazard is something only spoken by people who have no understanding of FISA. Can the FBI release the FISA application? Yes. Yes, they absolutely could in the sense of they have the legal authority to do so. There's nothing to stop them other than the president 
ordering them not to do so. But as a simple legal matter, yes, they can order it declassified and publish it. They alone have that authority. Will they do that? My assumption is no. Well, what Christopher Ray, it's on the record, he, he tried to get the president and to not declassify this. He warned against against declassifying it and said there were grave concerns about material omissions. FBI issued a uh, never heard of statement before. What is his position now? What does well, he do? What can it, he do? It becomes difficult for him. And he's in a bit of a difficult you know, spot here. He wasn't there when this was all put together. He came in after the fact. He's trying to reorganize and trying to steady the ship at the FBI, which was in turmoil after the Comey firing. So he's put in a difficult position here. Does he take the principled moral high ground and try to resign here to express disappointment with the step that the president took? Or does he try to stay on and basically push this off as a, a one-off, you know, uh, staying on the record and try to restore some manner of cooperation between the FBI and the White House? Now, Representative Adam Schiff is predicting that Trump will use the memo as a pretext to dismiss special counsel Robert Mueller's boss, Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, because he is mentioned in this memo. Tell us what he did. Tell us what Rod Rod Rosenstein did. Yeah, Correct. Rod Rosenstein signed off in his role as the Deputy Attorney General on, I believe, the last and most recent uh, FISA application. And since that would have at least in part uh, come along from this entire original thread relying on the Steele dossier allegations in some form, that's certainly going to anger the president personally. So he could, in theory, the deputy attorney general could be a political appointee. The president could fire him right now. But if he does, the attorney general remains recused from the Russia investigation and overseeing the Mueller investigation. The authority of that would now fall to uh, Rachel Brand, who would be the next in line. Now, do we? What do we know about Rachel Brand? Would she stand up as Rod Rosenstein has stood up? It's it's hard to say. We don't know. I mean, Rachel Brand is certainly a, a very qualified uh, individual in the spot she serves. She certainly has a lot of experience in there, but it's not really known how she would view her role here and whether or not she would uh, sort of take the principled line and the principled. Uh, mechanisms uh, or pathway that uh, Mr. Rosenstein has taken. My assumption is that she would follow in that same path. I don't see her as being by any means a Trump uh, acolyte or loyalist, but you just don't know. Well, it's a very tough position to be in. Now, if Rod Rosenstein is fired, does that give more ammunition to Mueller's obstruction investigation? It would, it would, it would, in the circumstantial context of corrupt intent. Each time the president does one of these various things that he might have the legal authority to do, it nonetheless shows the indication of his personal mindset, his intent, his bias in terms of how he views this investigation. So, if there are other actions, and we know of a lot of what's going on, but there are other actions that, in their totality, reflect the concept of obstruction, these otherwise legal things that the president does, like, say, firing Rod Rosenstein, could serve as circumstantial evidence for corrupt intent, which is a requirement for obstruction. In about 30 seconds, Brad, come Monday, after this has been talked about and talked about on an every news show, uh, what do you expect uh, will be the result? Will this be, as you said, a nothing burger, or will there be more added to it by the Democrats? 
I think there's going to be a lot. It's going to be certainly a lot of political hay. The question is, will the Democratic counter memo come out rather soon? I understand Speaker Ryan has spoken in favor of it being released. Of course, the president still has to declassify that. Um, or else the House would have to vote to override the president's objection. We have no idea how the White House would come down on that front. And we don't know what the FBI will do. They're allegedly going to submit a public rebuttal. We have no idea what that will consist of and how much they provide in terms of detail. So that's All right. pretty much where we stand. Thank you, Brad. More to come. That's Bradley Moss, a partner at Mark Zaid. Are you betting on Sunday's Super Bowl game? Maybe you're in an office pool and your name is in a box tied to the score. It's not really gambling, is it? And soon it may not matter. The Supreme Court justices suggested they may strike down the federal law that bars sports betting. In the meantime, there's WinView, which is pushing the boundaries further than the daily fantasy industry. Bloomberg News sports business reporter Eben Novi williams joins me. Thanks so much for being here, Thanks Eben, on this me, very important day for you, the uh, before the Super Bowl. <laughs> it's exciting. Um, what this? What is this app? Yeah, so WinView has been around for a while. Uh, what they're doing now for the first time in January, and the Super Bowl is one of their first, uh, is they're offering cash games. And what it is is bettors out there would know them as prop bets. Uh, they, they propose questions to you, say, will the Patriots have three first downs on this drive? Will the Eagles have a sack? Will there be a turnover? And you answer them yes or no. Um, and the way, and, and your success in answering those questions puts you in a pool against others, and you can win money based on being good at predicting whether uh, certain things are going to happen in the game. Have you tried it? I only I ask it because I wanted to know how, how hard it is, not to... Yeah, no, I've, I've played the free games before. Um, they're fun. I mean, it's a, the, the way it's built is it's to be a second screen. You know, as you're watching the game, what's going to keep you interested? Oh, uh, this might keep you interested. Really rooting for that pick you made that the last play of the third quarter is going to be a running play and not a passing play, things like that. So how is... Is this WinView getting ready for what legal experts say maybe a spring decision that will legalize? Yeah, it's funny. There, there's going to be $4.6 billion wagered on the Super Bowl this year in America, and, <laughs> and $4.4 billion of that. Wow. So over 95% of that happens illegally just by virtue of the way the, the U.S. laws are. And this could probably going to be, possibly going to be the last Super Bowl where your average American can't legally place a bet nearby or online. Um, and, and for that reason, apps like WinView, apps like the Daily Fantasy folks like DraftKings and FanDuel, they're kind of pushing the envelopes of what's legal. You know, there was a gray area that Daily Fantasy kind of carved its way out of. WinView is using that same kind of carve-out, that game of skill uh, carve-out. They're, they're pushing the boundaries. And one of the reasons they're doing that is that they want to know who the Americans are out there that are most likely to jump on this industry once it becomes legalized. And if you're a customer at WinView or, or DraftKings, for example, they're banking on if they can offer sports gambling in the future, uh, you'll probably be a customer for that too. And is anyone really investigating them anymore? I mean, you know, years ago, the AGs were investigating them. But now that we have the Supreme Court uh, decision in the offing, are they being investigated? Or so, just- DraftKings and FanDuel have, have spent a long time in the past, or a lot of money in the past couple years on lobbying uh, specific state senates to get their games explicitly legalized. So instead of being a carve out or a, a kind of a loophole in a law to have explicit daily fantasy is legal bills. And they've, they've passed those in, in, in more than a dozen States at this point, they're still working on that. Um, I don't think anybody thinks that the Supreme court thing is going to be a panacea. It's going to be a 
way, way tangled web of individual states that want to do it this way versus that way, want to tax 5%, want to tax 10%. Uh, the federal government could and possibly will at some point get involved as well. No one really knows how this is going to pan out. Uh, so they are still going the legalization route on their end. Um, but there's no question that change is coming. Uh, and that's because almost all the stakeholders want it. You know, casinos have been arguing for this for a while. Uh, but we're seeing leagues now. The NBA has been probably the most active in saying, hey, we're, we're ready for this. Uh, we want it to happen. We want it to happen in a specific way. Uh, but there's a ton of profit for the NFL, for the NBA, for, for baseball, for hockey, for soccer uh, in this happening. Uh, so they're kind of all aligned now. And also in getting their ratings up? Especially for the absolutely, uh, yeah. I mean, if you look at the struggles, the uh, NFL is struggling ratings wise, and yet their Thursday night package, Fox just agreed to pay more than anyone ever has for the Thursday night package. And you know, it's not hard to connect the dots to that. You know, and, and it's a five year deal, and by the end of that deal, uh, Americans will be gambling legally on on football nationwide, uh, and that will lead to probably better ratings and more interest in the games. Whether it's the Patriots versus mm-hmm. the Eagles, or if it's you know the Jacksonville Jaguars versus uh, the, the the Minnesota Vikings. Well, Jacksonville Jaguars, I'm not sure of, but <laughs> is anyone betting on the uh, on the on the Eagles? Or uh, yeah, all? there are. It's funny. The so the Patriots are a three and a half point favorite right now, four point favorite depending on on where you where you look in Vegas. Uh, but a lot of the biggest bets are coming in on the Eagles. You know, people that are betting high hundred thousand dollar bets to win over a million dollars if the Eagles do win. So they have uh, money to lose then. And- so, yeah, so they, I mean, they're trying to balance the books, and and a majority of the bets, I think, are on the Patriots just because if you're an average NFL fan, you think, oh, my, the Patriots always win, so they're going to win again. Uh, but there are definitely some sharp bettors out there uh, that, are, that are favoring the Eagles. So about 30 seconds here. What does this win view have on tap for the Super Bowl? Yeah, sure. So they're doing it. They have a $25,000 promo. If you answer all the questions right in a single quarter, which is around 20 questions or so, uh, you can win $25,000. That sounds, I think, a lot easier than it actually is. The odds on that are are very slim. Uh, But that's just kind of one of those promotions that are geared at at getting more people onto their platform. And they're betting that once you try it, uh, whether you're winning $25,000 or you're winning $2 or maybe you're losing a little bit of money, uh, that you'll keep coming back and playing. It sounds like an interesting idea and a way to do something besides Candy Crush during the game. Thank you so much, Evan. That's Bloomberg News sports business reporter Evan Nopi-Williams. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.